0: You're listening to The Turing Podcast, a production of the Alan Turing Institute, the UK's National Institute for Data Science
1: and Artificial Intelligence.
0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of The Turing Podcast. I'm your co-host, Ed Calstray, and I'm here with B. B, how are you doing?
2: Hello. Still... Lockdown, but having
0: fun. Yes, we're still remote recording. It's still 2020, unfortunately, so <laughs> we're <laughs> still not in the, the office. same pandemic, no new one. <laughs> yeah. Um, so today we've got a slightly different episode to our usual ones. Up until now, we've been basically interviewing our colleagues, um, researchers at the Alan Turing Institute, um, and we'd always planned to branch out at some point, get in some. External scientists uh, and other guests of of interest to our listeners who are interested in AI, data science, and technology. Um, so today we've uh, we've made use of a connection that you had, Bee. Um, so who who is the person we're interviewing today, and how do you know this person?
2: So he's a friend of a friend, and we're both here in Manchester. That's how I've met him, and. Um, he has a very big online following. He has over a million subscribers, uh, as he's going to tell us. And on, on YouTube, over, right? On
0: YouTube,
2: yeah. So he's a, quite a big tech YouTuber in the, in the UK. So that's exciting. Uh, we're going to hear a little bit about tech and about the advances that it has been having over the past few years and what's maybe in store for the future. Um, we hear some of his ideas and opinions and we learn a lot of new concepts because us scientists just have no idea about this. I don't know about you, Ed, but I learned a lot of uh, new words even uh, for, <laughs> for the products yeah, definitely. that we all use.
0: Yeah, so I think we'll call this episode Future of Tech. And really, yeah, it was really interesting to see um, how consumer tech has changed over the last few years o- over the last decade. Um and yeah, get into some of the nerdy details about <laughs> <the> <laughs> latest phones and computers and so on. Um this is something that's relevant to us as, as scientists just as much as um the general public because I was gonna as say we,
2: even just as people. Um... Yeah,
0: as we got into the discussion we found that you know there, there were lots of examples we were we were all coming up with of overlap between the world of consumer technology and and how that feeds back into research and and vice versa. Yeah. Um, so we'll we'll um, we'll we'll bring you that interview in a moment. Um, I think we're going to start by um, doing our um, fun facts section. Uh, B, have you got a fun science fact to tell me?
2: I have um, something that I was researching today um, because I'm a massive bookworm and I'm very excited about this. So. Although the first sci-fi book officially... Do you know which one it is? The first official science fiction book. Technically.
0: As in, as in the first book that was ever considered ever written science that fiction? Ever was
2: considered science fiction,
0: yeah. Uh, was it Frankenstein?
2: That's what it's considered, yes. by uh, That is what is... Which was in the 1800s. But if you dig, dig further, which is what I did... Actually, there are some texts that involve alchemy, which was the science uh, air quotes of changing one element into the other. So there's a lot of these texts from dating back to 1600s. So te- so there's evidence that the first science fiction was um, a lot uh, two centuries before Frankenstein.
0: So someone wrote a, a novel based on um, to do yes. with alchemy.
2: It was called The Chemical Wedding, um, yeah, and it's about alchemy.
0: Who Who is it by?
2: Well, I don't know how to pronounce the name. So it was a pseudonym, <laughs> and I have the Wikipedia page open. I don't know how to pronounce the name, but if you search for The Chemical Wedding, it's going to show up. Okay, now tell me, what's your fact for today? So science
0: fiction has been around for quite a long time. Cool, cool. Um, <laughs> so mine is uh, more from the world of, of animal biology. Uh, and it is did you know that if a pelican overheats it can pull its spine through its mouth to cool down
2: what and yeah i have so many questions about this how and why is is the biggest ones
0: it does seem like an odd way of cooling down yeah but if you google it um you can find some very strange pictures of pelicans Mm -hmm. doing exactly that (laughs)
2: <laughs> i'm just imagining if if it was like in humans i'm like oh i'm dying and you just remove your spine
0: <laughs> it's a pretty cool. drastic way of doing it yeah you know yeah. humans tend <laughs> to just sweat dogs pant but no pelicans pull sp- uh pull their spines out through their mouths so there you it, go you,
2: to each their own like you, just, you maybe it's cooler um, there's no and...
0: right way to do things in the animal No, no country. no just
2: But please don't try this at home. If anyone is very warm and (laughs) removes their spine, we are not liable for this. We should leave the disclaimer right now that (laughs) we do not try this at home.
0: All right. Well, on that note, let's go to uh, Daniel and Zone of Tech.
2: Welcome to The Cheering Podcast. Today, we're very excited, me and my co-host, Ed. Um, hi, Ed. Hi, B. <laughs> because we have our first um, external speaker, and he's a YouTuber. Um, his name is Dan- uh, Daniel Rotar, but he is usually known as Daniel from Zone of Tech. Hi.
1: Hi, everyone. <laughs> Thank you for having me.
2: Uh, welcome to this... Uh, zoom podcast because it's not um well we're still in the midst of a pandemic Um, pretty much (laughs) how are you
1: yeah i'm good pretty good pretty excited Mm -hmm.
2: cool Uh, and before we start with the more technical questions um can you tell our usual listeners that might not know you a little bit about yourself
1: yeah sure so my name is daniel rocher I'm 26 years old, I'm a Romanian myself, and I moved to the UK back in 2012, so quite some time ago, uh, to study computer science at the University of Manchester. And essentially, I've been, from a very young age, I've been obsessed with tech. So um, I was always the person that uh, all my friends and family asked when they wanted to buy any phones, laptops, computers, monitors, TVs, anything. Um Essentially, I I was collecting this massive... (laughs) I had this massive collection of tech magazines. I think I had about 500 or so. Uh, And even after school, I used to go to lots of just tech stores, anything that I could find. Um, Anyways, back in 2012, I wanted to... For a while, I wanted to start sharing my tech passion with just more people. So in 2012, I started making online technology videos on YouTube, essentially. So I started a channel called Zone of Tech. And in 2012 was also when I started university, so I've tried to balance my university life with uh, my YouTube life. And that's what I did for, for a few years. And in 2015, when I graduated, I had more than 100,000 people that were subscribed to uh, to my channel. So by then, I've, I worked with companies such as Vodafone, LG, and a few other smaller ones. Uh, and... I can say
0: I, we, we don't have quite that many subscribers just yet, but <laughs> we'll, we'll get there hopefully. <laughs> yeah,
1: it was. Yeah, it, it was a pretty big number, I would say, even 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 back then. I was, and essentially, I just wanted to try and turn uh, YouTube into my full time career, and uh, I've yeah pretty much managed to do it. So now in 2012, uh, Zone of Tech is a full company. Uh, We're a team of four people, so we're a pretty small team. Uh, We do have a 12-person-sized office, so the office is a bit bigger, but just four of us. Uh, We have a recording studio. Good social distancing now? (laughs) Yeah, kind of. We haven't returned to the office yet fully, so we're still mostly working remotely. Um, And we've actually recently surpassed 1 million subscribers now uh, and 215 million uh, worldwide views.
2: So, so a little bit, not <laughs> a bit, yeah. But congratulations on the number. That's yeah, thank amazing. you. Um, uh,
1: and last week, we've actually surpassed 1,000 videos uploaded on the channel. Oh wow! So that's another milestone that uh, that we surpassed. That's quite a lot. Yeah, and now we pretty much work with companies such as Samsung, Google, Intel, LG, Huawei, Nvidia, Razer, Microsoft. Basically, all the well-known names in tech. Uh and yeah we're just having fun doing all of this and making great at least what we believe is great <laughs> uh online technology content.
2: It's, so basically you, you went from being your family's IT person to everyone's IT person with videos and,
1: <laughs> and Yeah, and all you of could that. say so. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
2: um does your background in computer science help you with um like how you see the specs, how you look at the products that you try or how much you test your computers.
0: Yeah, um, I think, I think. can I just say, um, yeah. can you maybe give for our listeners who aren't familiar, um, even though they're probably more likely to be familiar <laughs> with your stuff than, than ours. Um, yeah, what is the sort of the, so it's, it's about specs of technology, right? That's the main thing that you talk about on your YouTube channel. So um, it'll be like the new specs of the new iPhone, PlayStation 5, Macbook, etc.
1: Well, essentially what we do, we have different series on the channel. Uh, The most detailed one is called just in-depth reviews. And this is where I spend a few weeks or even months testing a device. Uh, Just benchmarking, just testing pretty much everything. And then we compile all of that into something like a 20 to 30 minute video review. So we basically focus on trying to do the most detailed reviews out there. Um, and those videos, they take about a week in production, Uh, so that involves just filming and editing. Uh, So about five to six to seven days, uh, just the editing and the filming, and then a few weeks uh, for my end, for just taking notes, scripting, all that. So that's the main series. And then we also have different series, such as uh, The Leaks and Rumors, in which uh, that's a series that I started in 2013, in which I talk about um, how a product would be like for example the iphone 12 everything we know about the iphone 12 the new macbooks and so on um and then we also have uh just different smaller series such as things you didn't know some interesting facts about a product zone of tech news where we talk about just interesting stuff happening in the world of tech so a few a few series
0: oh cool, yeah sorry i kind of interrupted your answer to so b's uh, question there which was about your whether your computer science background helps you
1: yeah, so I I would say to um to be honest uh mostly mostly no <laughs> mostly no, but to some extent yes to some extent. So for example, in uh my my degree was in computer science. So in the last in the last year in the final year, uh, we had to do we had a big project a final year project, and in my case I wanted to do a mobile app. So that was essentially what I did. I did a game. Uh, it was a flight sim dogfights just with planes, obviously. Uh, so that's essentially what I did, and we worked on this all students for about eight months or so. I think that's that was the duration of this this whole project. And I was everyone had to work on these alone, so we didn't really have any any help. But in those eight months, I've learned more about just programming, app development, and game engines that I've ever learned in my life. So it's been just a tremendous journey. And I just love doing it. And for example, now the PS5 and the Xbox, which some of you might have heard of, the next generation consoles are coming out in in just a few months. And uh, Epic Games, who make Fortnite, they also make a game engine, which is called Unreal Engine. Mm -hmm. And the fifth one, so literally the newest one, that's coming out in 2021, Uh, and that will work on the Xbox, the new PlayStation, also PC, also some mobile platforms. Uh, And just using having used game engines in the past, I played around with Unreal Engine 4 a tiny bit as well, Uh, mostly Unity myself. Um, I just have a bit of a better idea of how they actually work, and that does help a bit in just referring to those in the videos.
0: Yeah. uh, Unreal, uh, I've seen some of the clips of Unreal 5, uh, the videos yeah. have come out and it looks pretty spectacular i mean for people who aren't expert or who don't know much about this sort of thing essentially what we're talking about is uh a game engine that will you know be what future game developers use to develop their games but the graphics are kind of like what you would expect to see now in a film or high budget tv show i mean give or take it's, it's pretty close i think
2: yeah that's that's quite cool um Thank you. Thank you for explaining and for telling us
0: things. Yeah, um, and
1: in I guess for yeah, uh for the audience watching in case you don't know what game engines are. So when you're developing a game, pretty much no one would develop that game from scratch. Like if you want to make a character move or if you want to add some cameras, you wouldn't just code those in from scratch. Uh most people would just use a game engine and you would do all of those things the movement, the character implementation, just the camera angles in a few hours. Uh and if you were to do this from scratch, it would take you probably a few months. So essentially, a game engine is like they're giving you the building blocks of a game, and then you can just focus on the logic rather than having to spend time on the design and just the way it looks.
2: Basically, a game a game library, right? That's mm-hmm. um, You yeah. just import that and use the the things in the
1: exactly um,
0: in yeah. your game. Just to put a a, a spin on like the, the sort of game engines that's relevant to. Some of our listeners who are like scientists and and researchers, one of the coolest things i've seen was it was actually at a it was, a, it, was a, it was a it was a VR conference so virtual reality conference although this thing wasn't specific to VR it was in the unity game engine um, what people had done is they'd there's there's a library that you can plug into it which uses the uh, Google tensorflow machine learning algorithms and so you can actually get like your game characters to learn how to do like realistic walking movements or or things like that, Um, basically via trial and error or however the machine learning algorithms work. I thought that was a really cool like use of that technology that's kind of like not envisioned by, you know, people who designed it to, they designed it for using video games, but now like AI researchers are using it, which I think is really cool.
1: There's
2: always an overlap of those things, though. There's always like um, a lot of things that are severely done in research, and then they're taken to consumer products and the other way around.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also the NVIDIA stuff as well, like um, all of the GPU stuff, like graphic processing units, they were developed for video games, right? But now, um, again, AI researchers use them because they're... And I'm not someone who knows about technical specs at all, but they're they're better than CPUs in certain ways and <laughs> and good for machine learning projects. Yeah.
1: Products. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Actually, <laughs> Nvidia. Speaking of this, Nvidia actually launched. I forgot exactly how it's called. A few weeks ago, they launched a tool for removing background noise from audio. Uh, if you have RTX, the RTX series of graphic cards, and it works insanely well. Like you could basically talk, like I'm talking, and you could have, I don't know, like someone drilling next to me and It would remove all of that mm-hmm. and it would still keep my voice in uh, at a pretty good quality, so it's pretty amazing.
0: That's gonna be wow, really good like... for like, yeah, the future of remote podcasting. We can go out and like,
1: yeah, <laughs> <be> <laughs> yeah. In the park we're just do, thinking yeah.
2: about it now. It's like, <laughs> yes, this, this is something we're going to want to use in the future, exactly. Uh, but I guess things have been changing because you have your channel quite for a long time. Um, how do you see that? every like all of the technology has evolved so much over the past few years um how do you, how do you see the differences as someone that is in studying these things in depth
1: uh so i would say that some things have changed significantly more than others so i started my channel back in 2012 8 years ago and that's when for example that's when we had the iphone 5 Um, And, you know, if you compare the iPhone 5 to modern smartphones today, you'll probably, you know, notice that, oh, they're much bigger, the display is much larger and sharper, that kind of stuff. Um, So the design of smartphones has improved, but if you take a look at laptops, for example, laptops have mostly remained the same. Uh, at least on the outside. So they haven't... Yes, you know, the bezels are a bit thinner, but uh, the concept of a laptop has remained the same, whereas smartphones have evolved considerably. Like, now in 2020, uh, we started seeing foldable smartphones, like literally smartphones that uh, you can fold like a piece of paper in half. Uh, a good example would be the Samsung Galaxy Z Flip or the Razer... Uh, the new Razer... What's it called? Yeah,
0: they they kind of look like a... I uh, completely forgot the in, name of it. In my- nineties kid uh you know they look like Game Boy Advance SPs (laughs) little foldable phones, yeah yeah.
2: (laughs) Do you reckon that the the laptop the laptop design has been basically optimized and that's it. That's nothing more.
1: Uh well I think there's just only so much you can do with um with a clamshell laptop. Like now we started seeing two in one devices, which are, I think are great. Like from Microsoft, we've seen the surface pros, uh, which are essentially just tablets that you attach a keyboard to and a trackpad. Um, and they work pretty well. So they're, Quite, quite powerful for just the basic tasks. And then even if you take a look at the brand new iPad Pro, so Apple just released a magic keyboard, a keyboard accessory, which also has a trackpad, and you can just magnetically attach that onto the iPad, and it becomes basically a laptop with the trackpad support. So I think two-in-one devices have definitely, uh, have definitely started just changing the industry. Do
0: you see that we're going to reach peak phone, if that makes sense. Or, or yeah, it... I
1: think we've already reached it. I yeah. think in terms of smartphone designs, we've definitely reached a peak uh, back in 2019. like If you take a look at the, the smartphones that we have now, the end 1s, the Galaxy S20 from Samsung, the new iPhone, uh, the OnePlus 8 Pro, for example, and many others, they all kind of look the same. They have a full screen display. They have uh, very, very thin bezels or edges. And some of them have a punch hole camera cutout where the camera is the only thing that's sticking, so to say, on on the front display. Everything else is just a display panel. Um, And yeah, we pretty much reached the peak of smartphone designs. Like the only only point that you could go from here is just removing that camera, having it underneath the display and just having a full screen display, uh, which will happen in the next two years, max. We already have some prototypes of that, but that's pretty much it. So foldable phones... These would really be the next the next uh, big thing.
2: Oh, so I guess it's but it's it, it's a bit uh, counterintuitive because phones for a while were getting smaller and smaller and smaller, and now they're getting bigger and bigger and
1: bigger. Yeah, yeah.
0: And now they're <laughs> kind folding of starting. Uh, solves that though, right? Because it's you know it's bigger yet not. You can fold it to make it smaller again. Exactly. mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> and I guess we're going to have three in ones because we have two in ones, which is a tablet and into a laptop. Mm, but if we yeah. have foldable phones, we're going to have them and then attached to keyboards. And at some point, you just have everything on a you can put it in your pocket, which is what sci fi has taught us is the height of <laughs> of coolness. Um, well, to be
1: honest, the, uh, the Samsung Galaxy Fold is kind of like that. So, um, it's essentially a very, very tall smartphone with a very small display, but then you unfold it and it becomes a tablet. And then if you connect that to a monitor, it actually boots into this uh, thing called Dex mode, this UI. Uh, you can connect a keyboard and a mouse wirelessly and you can run the full-size versions of Chrome, Microsoft Office. So it's pretty much like just a basic computer, Just pretty cool. So yeah, that's yeah. definitely a three-in-one yeah. device. But I would say oh. that the thing that, that has improved the most over these eight years would be the processing power in mobile phones. Like, if you take a look at the iPhone again, the iPhone 5 from 2012, it was, you know, it was pretty good, pretty powerful. But now, eight years later, the Apple A13 chip, and I am mentioning Apple because they have the most powerful mobile chips on the planet, um, the Apple A13 inside the iPhone 11s is actually more powerful than pretty much any low to mid-range laptop on the market, which is quite nuts. And, for example, the iPad Pro 2018, uh, that one comes with the Apple A12X chip, which is it's not as powerful as the A13 inside the iPhone's CPU-wise, but it's definitely more powerful, powerful on the GPU end. Um, and I actually did a test last week, I believe. We did a full video comparing a MacBook Pro from 2020, uh, 13-inch, compared to a 2018, not even 2020, iPad Pro. And, for example, we did a 4K video editing test, amongst others, and the uh, the Mac Pro took seven minutes and I believe fifty three seconds to export that four K video, which was uh, five minutes in length. The iPad Pro took two minutes Oof. on the same project, which is quite nuts. This so is, mobile, yeah.
2: Yeah, this is insane. And uh, just to think that you have such a powerful thing on such a small screen—it's a glorified screen if you think about it—but then it's more powerful than the computer.
0: Do, do yeah. the iPads nowadays have good cameras on them as well for recording the 4K videos?
1: Yeah, so they use basically the same cameras as uh, the iPhones, the latest iPhones, yeah. Almost, yeah.
2: Cool. That's really cool. Um, okay, so you're here at the cheering Podcast, and we care a lot about um, AI and data science, but one of the biggest things that has changed in smartphones is the assistance, I suppose. Yeah. For example, now you have C and you have Google, and I shouldn't say it too loud because otherwise my my <laughs> smart um, things are going to start talking back <laughs> to me, um, and that's like a five person podcast. Uh, so, how do you see that AI has changed tech, um, in from from the perspective, consumer?
1: Um, well, if we if we take a look at voice assistants, to be honest, I wouldn't really call voice assistants proper AI just yet. But for example, Siri on the iPhone. Siri was actually the world's first voice assistant that was built into a phone. Uh, It was released back in 2011 with the iPhone 4S. Now, Siri, ironically, even though it was the first, now it's actually on the last place in terms of how much stuff it can do. Mostly because of Apple's privacy policy. Uh, You know, they don't actually like to share a lot of the stuff to to Siri. So Siri is basically very, very limited because of that. Google Assistant, on the other hand, is significantly more advanced than Siri, and Google Assistant is the most advanced assistant that we have in any device today.
0: So the, the flip the flip side of that is perhaps because Google and uh, Amazon are collecting more of your data than than Apple are.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: <laughs> Apple actually have a, I think a better reputation of data privacy, but it's not something I know a lot about. Um, but it's interesting that yeah that now they're at this point where their voice assistant just isn't as good <laughs> as a result of that. I, I
2: was I was a, about to talk to to ask about that because I guess one of the things that it influences a lot is that if you have these listening waiting for the voice, it's the battery um, is going to be consumed very quickly, and I guess that's also very influenced by by like I guess the power of the phone has to be quite has to have increased quite a lot, even if it's not noticeable for the consumer. Because it's people are still gonna say, oh no, mine just lasts like eight hours or something. But then you have on the on like on the inside, given how much processing power you have, it actually probably had a gigantic evolution.
1: Yeah, definitely. Uh they do have when the iPhone 4S was introduced, it did have like a dedicated uh, chipset for just handling the uh, hey. I'm not gonna say it's command, which would activate uh, Siri remotely. So, because of this, the battery life wasn't that affected. But the thing is, even today, if you take a look at a Google Assistant, like I said, it's I wouldn't really call it AI. Uh, it's just like, for example, you can ask it a question and then you can do a follow-up on that question. Like, you can say, hey, what's the weather like in New York? What about San Francisco and so on? What about tomorrow? So you can just do a few follow-ups. But then, like, five minutes later, if you ask it, uh, what about, I don't know, five days from now, uh, it would be like, what do you mean? So, you know, it will forget exactly, essentially, what you asked a few minutes before. So that's pretty much the extent at which the Google Assistant can communicate uh, at the moment. So it's just... It's still in its infancy, to be honest.
2: For our listeners, there's other um, AI things in the phone, for example, text recognition when you're typing a message. Uh, that's also significantly better, but always hilarious if you try to if you start with <laughs> random words and you just press the suggestion and you learn a lot about yourself. Um, that's another example of, of how... Your phone learns with you and your baby patterns.
0: One of the most impressive, um, I I don't know if you could call this AI, but this has been around for like five years now um, that you have in Google phones and Android phones is the Google Translate. And specifically the Google Translate where you hold it up to um, a picture of a sign in one language and it transposes the uh, language of choice on top of it. I mean, that's been, I can't believe that like, that's been around for five years now. I mean, it's so good. Yeah,
1: mm-hmm. yeah it still works. It works you know, even better than before. Even the tracking is amazing. But I would say that uh, in terms of AI processing on smartphones, cameras have improved the most. So uh, we actually did a very recent video uh, just this week, actually comparing uh, a Huawei P40 Pro, which at the moment has the best still camera on any smartphone, Against our high-end DSLR camera, so about a three thousand pound production DSLR, just to see which one would take uh, better photos in auto mode. So we're we're literally just testing the image processing, and the the smartphone won in basically every single way significantly.
2: The camera can't make phone calls. It was a silly thing,
1: but
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, it can't exactly. It's a it's a one <laughs> one it's a device that does one thing. Take that but... camera. <laughs> what 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 do you think is um, yeah, How has that happened? How have camera developers fallen so far behind the phone developers?
1: Well, long story short, um, let's say you're, I don't know, Panasonic, Canon, and you make high-end DSLRs, you would probably sell, I don't know, 500,000 units a year, maybe, if you're lucky. Not a lot of people buy DSLRs today. Um, if you're a phone manufacturer, you would sell millions even even the most uh, even the not so well- known smartphone manufacturers, they sell millions of their devices every single year. Now, obviously you can you can invest a lot of that that uh, profit. you can invest it into r and d. and then you can just improve the processors inside your smartphones pretty much every single year, significantly. Whereas with cameras, you you just don't get that much profit to invest into R&D, and you're simply just focusing on, I don't know, just lenses, the body itself. You don't really get to focus on the CPU itself. So that's why the processing, which is fully done by the processor inside the phone, uh, that's why a smartphone at the moment today is pretty much as powerful as a laptop, whereas a camera is still stuck in that 2005, 2008 era in terms of processing power. And also,
2: because... Cameras now on phones are all as good as um, actual cameras. People aren't tend to buy more the phone than the camera. Exactly. That, again, cameras do- can't make phone calls or send texts because no one does phone calls anymore.
1: <laughs> yeah, like for example, when you, when you take a photo uh, on a smartphone... On a DSLR, you take a photo, it takes one photo. On a smartphone, you take a photo, it takes like 20 photos in the background. You don't even notice this. It takes like 20 photos at different exposures, and then it combines all those photos in less than a second, and then it gives you an image at the end which has a perfect exposure, so the sky is blue instead of being blown out, Uh, the shadows are just perfectly exposed, and you get basically a tweaked image. Now, obviously, with a DSLR, you can just do this manually. You can take multiple photos yourself and, and then just edit those afterwards and the image quality would be better in that case but it's going to take you i know probably 10 minutes per photo compared to less than a second on a smartphone so um yeah that's that's pretty much it
0: i don't know my camera terminology but um if are there not any cameras you can get now you know with with a big lens that you wouldn't have on a on a phone obviously but which have like an attached sort of phone or tablet device with android so you get the best of both worlds. Is that something that exists? or
1: Kind of. So there's a company called Moment um, that does, it essentially makes smartphone lenses. And you can attach these lenses onto the back of different smartphones. And in that case, you can get uh, just a wider field of view. You can get a macro lens on your smartphone. So you get the image processing of a smartphone, but yet you get kind of like the lens quality of, uh DSLR, I wouldn't really go that far and call it the same quality because if you compare, you know, a smartphone photo against a DSLR photo in terms of sharpness and just detail, the DSLR is going to be better in just all the time. It's just that the image processing, so the colors, the HDR, exposure and so on, that's always going to be better on a smartphone.
2: But I guess you can do the image processing afterwards with the DSLR image.
1: Yeah, you can do it afterwards, yeah. Yeah, it's
2: just the the automatic mode that
1: gets... The automatic yeah. is significantly better on smartphones, yeah. So
2: amateur... Uh, people just use phones. Yeah, all yeah. of the Instagram photos. Taken <laughs> of that
1: If you're a photographer, a pro photographer, don't buy a smartphone. Just get a DSLR.
2: <laughs> yes, and, uh, now there's the, the 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 to be honest, the camera knobs going Pfft. taking photos with with <laughs> with a smartphone. This is the the gen- millennials just taking those. Exactly. Um. So one of the one of the things that um, when we talked about how there's a lot of research and development, and for example, how, how there are a lot of uses of, of things in research that end up being used for consumers in a completely different way. Like, for example, all of the face recognition and all of, the, um, all of this image processing of Im- faces was then um, incorporated into making um, emojis, like face emojis from, from Apple. That was a big thing. Uh, a few years ago so my question is what do you think should be should make its leap from research to consumerism and the other way around like what consumer products could maybe leap to um, research
1: Um, let's see I would say something that's being researched on right now um, that I would really really love to see in the next few years would be micro LED displays um so I don't know if you heard of micro LED.
2: No, I was about to ask what that is.
1: Yeah, so essentially on displays today, we have two technologies. We have L C D and we have OLED. OLED is the superior technology. And the difference is that on L C D displays, the pixels on the display, they only provide the color. They don't provide a brightness. So you need a backlight. You need a separate layer as a backlight which would basically act like a flashlight. Uh and it would just light up the pixels. Now, the downside is that the TVs, the LCD displays would be very thick, uh, they would consume more power, and if you have a black screen and you want to display, I don't know, you have a white logo or something uh, on that black screen, all the pixels, so the backlight would have to be fully, fully on, which means that you'll never get black, perfect black levels. They'll always be, like, grayish. Now, on all the displays, uh, the pixels provide both the color and the brightness, which means that you can turn on and off individual pixels and you get a perfect image, you get infinite contrast. But the problem with all the displays is that the pixels actually burn out. So if you are the kind of person that watches, I don't know, just a a specific TV program all day, like 12 hours a day, just that, uh, in a few months, your TV will basically burn the logo of the TV channel in one of the corners. So it will be permanently there, uh, even if you switch channels. And essentially so micro-LED... a Netflix
2: logo after this quarantine, guys. there's going to be so many people with
1: it. <laughs> yeah, so as long as you keep the same pixels, the same logo in the same place for like 12 hours, Netflix would be fine, it's just the logo is only there for a few seconds, but as long as you keep the same image, exactly the same image, in the same place for like 12 hours a day, multiple days, multiple weeks, then it will burn. Um, and micro-LED is basically the... Uh, it, it's like OLED but tweaked. So micro-LED fixes the burning issue of OLEDs. It's just individual individual self-lit pixels, basically. So micro LED is the same as OLED, uh, but fixes the burning and also fixes the brightness. So with OLED, you can only go to about, it depends on the display size, but it's usually about 1500 nits of brightness max. Whereas with micro-LEDs, uh, there have been some prototypes at which the displays even reached reached 1 million nits. So you can I, go I, I, significantly I say I've brighter. I've never
0: even heard of that unit before. It's in nits. What is that short for? Something or um, it,
1: it, that's how you measure the brightness of the display. Uh, for example, you can also nits is also the equivalent of cd cd M square, I believe, which is the cadence luminance. Um,
0: okay. <laughs>
1: cool. Long story short, yeah. Long story short, a display, a uh, a monitor, has about 200 to 300 nits usually. So that's how you can compare a smartphone. The high-end smartphones have like 1,000 nits. So high-end smartphones are way brighter than a laptop display. A MacBook Pro display, for example, has 500 nits. Uh, a TV, an OLED TV, has about 600. Mm-hmm. So, so I guess it comes down that's, to
0: whether a device needs to be used outside or not.
1: Yeah, pretty much. It also helps if you have a very bright display, it also helps in HDR. So if you're watching HDR content, then you definitely want that display to be as bright as possible.
2: We're learning a lot of concepts today. Yeah, absolutely. We're scientists, we're used to like this terminology, and then you come in with all of this new words that we're learning.
1: <laughs> yeah, so micro-LED displays. Samsung is actually working on a TV, it's called the Samsung Wall TV. It's a full, full uh, micro-LED display, the size of a wall, basically. But what's unique about this is that it's also modular. So you can literally connect display panels. They don't have any bezels, they're just pixels. You can connect display panels magnetically, and you can just increase the display size, and it automatically scales. Really, really cool stuff.
2: That that sounds really, really cool.
0: So they would sell you it in, like, squares of screen, basically, and, and you would then make it as big as you want on your wall.
1: Exactly. Wow,
0: that's really cool, yeah.
2: You're just thinking like a full, full
0: wall. Yeah, I mean, screen. the the closest thing you have at the moment for like if you just want a wall display is a um, projector, right, which is nowhere near as good as, as TV screens. Um, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So this would really, really be a game changer um, for home cinema purposes.
2: <laughs> I was going to say, even just normal cinema, if you think about it, like even if you like a proper cinema would have a lot because they still use projectors so that would be a very big difference as well like so much brightness as well just...
0: I never thought about that before yeah the the fact that cinemas use still use projectors rather than screens i mean could could yeah, they, they do. could they be much better than they are
1: yeah so i'm not to be honest i'm not fully fully sure why they use projectors i'm Guessing it's because it's significantly less expensive than having a gigantic, yeah, you know, gigantic uh, OLED <laughs> display. Like that would probably cost a few millions. Um, so it's probably that.
2: And just the maintenance as well. If you think about it, like one projector or having several screens,
1: uh, mm-hmm.
0: just
2: just just like the monthly bill, the electrical bill, this be so different. Oh yeah, the
1: yeah, definitely. Them. Yeah. Also, they turn off all the lights. Uh, when you're watching a movie and in that case you don't really need a display that goes that bright the uh, projectors are very very dim uh so you know if you have all the lights turned off then you don't really care about brightness
2: yeah okay it makes sense but it's just i imagine that if you have like a home cinema though you should probably you can invest on well if you have the money for a home cinema then you can invest on like a wall I'm talking about proper home cinema not just a yeah, yeah. home cinema mm-hmm. system but like a room with like the chairs and the the
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> and the thing um okay so one of the another big jump that happened in the past few years um in smartphones speci- especially um is augmented reality mm-hmm. that's also something that is quite that takes a lot of uh uh processing power and a lot of uh, research into it as well um do you think that that it should get more recognition than it already has it do you think it should um it still has a long way to go until it becomes an actual like selling point rather than just an extra
1: mm-hmm. yeah so for the audience watching in case you don't know what ar is
2: oh sorry yes ar <laughs> comes
1: from Augmented reality, and you've probably heard of VR, virtual reality, where you just put on put on uh, this massive headset and you get transported into this virtual world. Um, that's virtual reality, VR. Now AR is a bit different because AR, um, you just put on some glasses, and you don't even have to do that. But uh, the thing is, you're not transported into any world. You're still here. It's just that you'll get some virtual elements on top of your world. Like imagine just uh, being in your kitchen and just seeing a floating display just in here. And when you remove those glasses, the display would be gone. So that's basically what augmented reality is.
2: It's easy if people played Pokemon Go as well. One of the options was that you could have and you look around and you would see the Pokemons on top of your surfaces. And um, I always thought that must have had such a big amount of research and it's such a small feature like people don't notice it that much but it must yeah. be so complex and so much processing power on that
0: another uh, app that uses it which i've not used is i think ikea have an app where mm-hmm. yeah. you can you hold your phone up to the room and place the uh tables and chairs or whatever you want to buy uh, at the actual size that they would be that you know and it fits them in using augmented reality um i think that stuff's really cool and yeah, certainly. In the case of Pokemon Go and IKEA, it works well enough with just you know holding your phone up. Or though even in the case of Pokemon Go, it's not ideal because you know you're walking around the streets and you're also having to look at a thing. So <laughs> I I think yeah. the question I have and um, it seemed like Google Glass was a thing like I don't know six or seven years ago. It didn't take off. Um, for augmented reality to really be realized, we need some kind of Thing that goes beyond a smartphone, right? It has to be something that goes on your face because otherwise, you're always just looking at a screen, and then that's distracting you from your surroundings.
1: Yeah. So in terms of Google Glass, Google Glass wasn't actually AR. Uh, it was just a pair of glasses that projected a basically a display that was always in the same place, and it would display different things. But it it was always in the same place, if you know what I mean. So it was on the glasses themselves. It wasn't actual AR. Um, in terms of actual AR, the most advanced... So there's a few companies working on this, but the most advanced AR that we have at the moment, ironically, is actually Apple's. So Apple has an API called ARKit, which allows developers to use all the sensors inside their iPhones and just make AR apps. And they've, they've managed to do it in a pretty unbelievable way. So, um, for example, they now have real-time reflections. So let's say that you're in your kitchen again and you just add a glass of water, a virtual one. That glass would actually reflect the reflections of the objects in the real world, which is pretty nuts. Now, on top of that, they also have shadows. So real-time shadows that are being casted by real objects in the real life uh, onto the virtual objects and vice versa, which is just unbelievable. But probably the most unbelievable way is that they've managed to do all of this uh using the same using just a single camera module. Like you can do this on an iPhone eight, for example, or even the iPhone SE uh twenty twenty and so on that only has a single camera module and it does all the tracking, everything based on that camera, the gyroscope, and the accelerometer. So it's pretty impressive.
2: So impressive. I was just thinking about all of the applications that it can have, like a proper augmented reality could, could have. If you think about medical applications, you could oh, you yeah? could potentially um <laughs> you know you know how in the sci-fi movies they have that and then like iron man he just gets the holograms and do stuff so eventually people could do that but with um even medical applications that would be so cool um it's still sci-fi,
0: it, it still has so, <laughs> yeah, the <laughs> oh sorry uh, i'm I just gonna say it still has the like the technology is really awesome and i, I haven't seen like the yeah the most up-to-date apple one with um the shadows and everything that sounds really cool um sounds like a really good way to make fake news videos uh <laughs> um but but yeah it's yeah, still but... it's not quite because it is you're still looking at the phone screen right that's that's the bit that i'm like i i think the technology the the in terms of the software is it's, it's like it's, it's almost there right ar but yeah. in terms of the hardware we're not quite there yet i don't think
1: Well, it depends on how you put it. So, for example, um, I'm a big fan of AR, by the way. Massive fan. (laughs) And, for example, they launched... Apple just launched the iPad Pro 2020, which comes with a LiDAR sensor on the back. Long story short, it's basically a laser that projects just laser beams. uh, And then it reflects those lasers back. So it calculates the amount of time it takes for a laser beam to uh, be reflected back. And then essentially can map objects in 3D. And it just improves AR in such a way that you can have a virtual object and you, you can just use the iPad, move around it, and it wouldn't move an inch or even a centimeter. It's, it just stays in place, just like a real object. It's pretty nuts. And Apple's also working on a pair, a pair of air glasses. So they are working on this, pretty big team, and it is supposed to come out, or at least be announced next year, 2021, with a release in 2022. Uh, and they'll be using the iPhone's processing power, uh, using just Wi-Fi to stream the data. So that would be very, very exciting. And I've actually played with, uh, I don't know if you've heard of the Oculus Quest. No.
0: Heard of the Oculus VR. Um...
2: Yeah, I've heard of Oculus, the, the VR, yet. is that it?
1: Yeah, so there are essentially two types of VR headsets. There's uh, those really low-end headsets, which you've probably seen on Amazon for like 30 quid, um, that you just slide in your smartphone like Google Carbon and so on. Um, so those ones, which are very inexpensive, they uh, you can only just tilt your head up, down, left, right, and that's it. Um, and then you have the high-end VR headsets, such as the HTC Vive and so on. And with those, you actually place sensors in your room and then you can literally walk. So you can walk, you can just, uh, I don't know, just go on the floor, or whatever, just jump. And the same movement w- would be reflected in the virtual world, which is, which is pretty sick. Now, the Oculus Quest is like in between. So the Oculus Quest is fully wireless. I should have mentioned that the high-end is they are wired, so you need to connect them to a high-end PC. The phone ones, they're wireless. Now, the Oculus Quest is wireless, but it also has cameras on itself, which allows you to uh, basically track the environment. So it's, it's, it's a fully, fully tracked system, but it's also wireless. Uh, and the graphics in that are pretty, pretty nuts. And the reason why I mentioned the Oculus Quest in terms of AR is because they've actually released an update about three weeks ago that allows you to use those cameras, see the real world, and then also have virtual objects on top of that. And keep in mind, this is a fully isolated headset, so you don't see the outside world. You just see a full AR experience. And I've tried it, and it's uh, it's pretty, pretty good.
2: I think. If yeah. you think about it, like in the limit of this, this would be really great for um for if we ever have another pandemic and people just have these and you can just have people in your living room, like your friends visiting you. That was oh, yeah, that would yeah. be like
1: exactly. Think yeah.
2: about it, like yeah, right. Like you, you, if you both have the set, this is we're living in the future, guys. This is insane. If you think I was about thinking
0: it. about Pokemon Go too. You know, <laughs> you're walking around with this headset on, and there are just Pokemon around you, and you throw. Pokeballs
2: at I take, I take your excitement. Well, can you imagine if you start actual throwing like your hand and there's people around you, and you're just like smacking people on the street <laughs> trying to catch Pokemon. <laughs> just,
1: well, what, what's cool just, about the Oculus Quest is that it can actually recognize your, your hands, your fingers. So when you're in this AR mode or VR, because it can do both, uh, you can actually move objects and menus using your hands, so you don't even need controllers, and you can do that in VR and AR, so it's it's absolutely amazing. Uh, Oculus got bought by Facebook, so Facebook is just throwing tons of money, just tens of millions, uh, into just the Oculus Quest. So that's why it's so good. Highly recommended. It. It's pretty much out of stock everywhere.
2: Yeah, we're, if, if Facebook has it, we're just going to get AR ads, guys. Just prepare,
0: brace yourselves for
2: <laughs> <laughs> augmented reality ads everywhere. Just
0: they'll they'll um, find not. some way to make it boring by putting a news feed in it. <laughs> <laughs> yes.
2: Yeah, so um, um, I guess there's also, sorry, uh, biomedical here, so I end up thinking about that. But if you think about it, one of the good things about it is, for example, for blind people, if you have... Cameras, You can actually map instead of having the, um, the cane or a dog, although the dog adorable and you don't, wouldn't substitute a dog. But can you imagine you have a sensor that can tell us how far things are? And for example, if there's a car coming, the, the speed or the, spe- the, the I don't know, just think that would be a really good application of these. If, if anyone is listening, any of the the companies with a lot of money, you should invest in this. Uh, there's I all think. sorts of um,
0: yeah adaptations for yeah medical use of AR VR sort of stuff. I know that there there was some trial of like um treating people with PTSD with some VR system that helps them. I, I don't know if that was successful or anything like that. But you know yeah, I'm sure there are. There's going to be loads of different applications outside the purely yeah. fun gaming sphere.
2: <laughs> yes, although we are more excited about the Pokemon Go I guess or or even the Harry Potter one the the wizarding world that would be also cool with <laughs> with <laughs> with AR yes a, a
1: lot of um just fitness apps started appearing in uh, AR and multi VR now uh where you get like a personal trainer and then you can you know he or she shows you those exercises uh in VR or AR which you can try on the Oculus Quest which is pretty amazing so if you're into home fitness I would highly recommend getting uh an Oculus Quest. Hashtag not sponsored, but <laughs> it is a good product.
2: I'm just you can get berated by a virtual <laughs> person yes. as you're doing the exercise. What are you doing? Go, this is for the chips you've had yesterday. <laughs> just, <laughs> just have all of that. Uh, okay, but but this is also weird. Like we're talking about these things that are so close um but i i want to ask you something daniel um we're talking cuz all of these things are seems sci-fi and stuff but mm-hmm. from actual sci-fi if you could what sci-fi gadget would you actually want to review uh for your channel
1: um let's see i think a cloaking device would be cool yeah um, just to see how it how a cloaking would you review device it? Um, I would probably just test it against... Because I'm guessing it would have cameras and it would just mimic what it sees around it. Yeah. So I would try to use mirrors and that kind of stuff and see how it would be affected. You would so that's have one. an
2: infinite... <laughs> an, an infinite... Oh, that's a, that's a cool
1: thing. That's cool. But I think if I could pick anything, I would honestly pick an AR, like a proper AI, sorry, not AR, a proper AI robot. Uh, like fully, fully conscious physical robots uh like in Detroit become human if any of you have heard of that game uh yeah so I would love to have one in in the in the studio uh and yeah it would yeah it would be quite cool
2: just have an AI like going around and
0: <laughs> the, the, the best yeah the best uh Turing test would be like if you're if the people you work with were like listen Daniel we, we just want you to do this episode with a co-host today and like not give you much context but they're going to talk to you about this and that, you just think that they're a real human being, but then it turns out that they're a real Westworld robot. <laughs> and uh, for everyone you listening, don't find a Turing test.
2: <laughs> for everyone listening, a Turing test is um, a test for AIs where you, um, where the it, it's it's to the for the person that is testing has to realize if they're talking to an AI or not. An AI is going to pass the Turing test if they can convince the the speaker that they are um human not an ai so that would be that would be quite a cool a cool thing yeah it's our up-to-date
0: turing test yeah absolutely
2: (laughs) yes it's just uh, but it would be so so because that there's a a a korean k-pop band that did it they had one full um person that was that passed the turing test they were fully convinced it was an extra band member, but it was actually a girl that was a mixture of all the others. It was a long time ago, so I just. Oh, so was it a different.
1: photo, or was it an actual AI assistant? Um, no, virtual? it was just.
2: It was just. If this was a long time ago, so I guess like. Right. Okay. So so no, but I imagine they could do that if they did that just with the photos and the voice and stuff. Imagine yeah. if they could. That would be so so weird. Yeah, I mean, we have
1: AIs today that can actually replicate. Uh, I don't know if you've seen there was an AI that actually replicated Joe Rogan's voice and like fully. And it started doing... More fake um, news. <laughs> pretty much more fake news, yeah. Uh, you know, it can be... It got pulled off, I believe, that AI because it could replicate almost any voice and just do any sentences. So it got pulled off. Uh, but yeah, you could basically just fake it. And there's also, you know, AI that can uh, fake video very easily and just have any person's face on top of just a different person. See, this is yeah, the, and then uh, there's... the
0: peril of being yeah, either a YouTuber or a podcast host. Is that we're we're putting out all of this training data for, for these AIs with <laughs> the perfect targets, as Joe Rogan has found out apparently.
2: <laughs> we're just gonna have voice AIs of us just just chatting and having conversations. Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> I think we're still quite far away in terms of real um, AR or AI or advanced AI. Uh, I would say you've probably heard of Deep Mind. Yeah, so I would say from what I have seen, that DeepMind is the most advanced AI, so to say, that we have.
0: Well, some, some of our colleagues work with them, and we'll probably, hopefully, get someone from them uh, on the podcast at some point. I think that would be really cool. That
1: would be cool.
2: Yeah, it would. Um, okay, so we've been chatting for quite some time now. Um, thank you so much, for accepting the invitation and having this chat with us, yeah, um,
1: thanks for this having is me. So
2: different from what you do, and so different from what we do, do as well. That this is, I guess, it worked quite well. Definitely. Um, so thank you, and um, we'll continue to see your videos. Uh, if people want to find you online, um, where if our listeners want to find you online, how how can they find you?
1: Just search for Zone of Tech on Google. That's it.
2: <laughs> you're you're already a name. Well, you have a. A couple of subscribers right it's already good <laughs> so yeah thank you
1: yeah thanks Ad.
0: to learn more about the work going on at the alan turing institute visit our website at turing.ac.uk to get in touch with the podcast team if you have any questions or suggestions email us at podcast at turing.ac.uk Today's episode of the Turing Podcast was co-hosted by Ed Cowstreet and B Costa-Gomez. It was produced by Dan Whitfield for the Alan Turing Institute.
1: Music for this episode was provided by Jammin Sun. You can listen to his
0: latest releases at jamminsun.bandcamp.com.